Uh, this morning we're going to be reading from uh, 1 John chapter 2, if you'd like to join with me in, the, in your Bibles. And I'm reading from the ESV version. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the, high, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way as which he walked. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to your fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of, eye, of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does, does the will of God abides forever. Warnings, uh, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, you know that it is our last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for they had not been of us. They would have continued with us, but they did. But they went out, that it might become plain that all of us are that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is the tr no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the end. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you and have, 
and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught to you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, he may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Will you join me in praying, please? Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you, Lord, and uh, we just thank you for being our God. As we sang this morning, Father, uh, we trust in you and you only. Man and governments will disappoint us, but you will never disappoint us, Father. Lord, we pray that you just uh, anoint Jackie's teaching this morning, that your message comes through loud and clear, that we apply it to our lives as we leave this church this morning, and that we walk with you day by day, moment by moment. And we just pray all these things to your precious son, Jesus. Amen. you guys all for being here this morning as we take a look at our continued journey in first john which by the way i, I chose first john just because i didn't have first john done yet i wanted to do something else i was planning on going to a different book <clears throat> obviously i think i believe in the lord's providence uh, which means that god is always working even when we don't think he is and uh he brought us to First John, and it's been uh, good for me. I don't know about for the rest of you guys, but I always enjoy when when the Lord works uh, works us over, and uh, me in particular, I like being worked over. Um, so I shared with you guys last time last week that I was struggling in bitterness, and I love uh, what Phil did when he prayed because um, that's exactly what God wants us to do. Uh, the Monday after that Sunday, I had an opportunity to spend a substantial amount of time in prayer with the, with the person whom I was bitter with, and uh, and I feel really good uh, since we've actually prayed every morning since then, and I think God's doing a, a work of healing and reconciliation in that. Uh, as I've kind of been walking this process out, right? Because it's not okay to be bitter. I covered that last week. If you don't know, go listen to the tape. But um, it's not okay to be bitter. It's not okay to harbor our sin. What we do and what I did is I would just lay in it, like uh, laying in your own muck. And I'd sit there and feel warm in it, and I'd feel comfortable in it, and I'd nurse it, and I'd take care of it and it was little by little just destroying me and it's been a long time I would say several years not it's not a short thing it's not something you know I've been dealing with for a week it's something I've it's been a long time I don't know eight years maybe that it, this and, I, and, and as I get deeper into it and repent of it and turn from it the Lord is 
just washing that stuff out of me. And I just want to encourage you, okay? If if you if there's something in you, here's what happened to me. I feel so much better today than I feel than I felt last week. I feel so much lighter. I feel so much happier. Uh, well, Mom, I'm not perfect. Don't think that happened. That didn't happen. But uh, the weight that is off me is is amazing. And uh, what's the matter? Why are you yelling at me? Is that, is that on? The green light? Oh, look at that. All right. Well, for everybody online, sorry you don't get to know what I was saying. The people in the front row heard it. So, so anyways, my point is we want to, what Phil did when he prayed in having an attitude of confession, repentance, turning from something we're holding on to, turning toward what the Bible says to do, that's what we need to do. So, so maybe your thing's not bitterness. Maybe your thing's unforgiveness. Maybe your thing, it doesn't, it doesn't make any difference. I can promise you this, all of us have a thing, and God is calling all of us to repent. And that's part of the reason why I believe the Lord brought us into 1 John. And so I want to remember the, the, the distance we've traveled and hopefully keep our eyes open. See, he started with this idea in 1 John. Okay, we want to know that we have eternal life. In chapter 5, John's going to write, look, I've written this so that you would know that you have eternal life. So we want to understand. I'm, I'm walking with the Lord. There's one person that makes that possible. First John, beginning of chapter 1, told us that one person who makes that possible is the word of life. Right? That's Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us he did not come to condemn the world but that through him the world might be saved right so he's the one who makes this eternal life that we talk about possible now first John says but there's a problem what's our problem the problem that hinders is sin sin hinders us from experiencing all that God has for us right Read the book of Hebrews. There's a warning in the book of Hebrews about drifting, about falling away. The book of Hebrews would challenge us. It would say, hey, we need to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. So are our sins forgiven? Yes, our sins are forgiven. Do our sins still hinder us? Yes, our sins still hinder us. What do we do about it? 1 John 1, 9. We confess our sin, and what does he do? He forgives us. So I, last week I confessed the sin of bitterness. And the Lord set me free. And we corporately need to be prepared to do that. We need to be prepared to confess. Now he goes on to discuss in 1 John chapter 1 the proof we belong to him. What's the proof we belong to Christ? We, we make a profession. How do we know we really possess what we say right and you guys all know we can say anything if, especially in our world today you can make any profession i i identify as a dragon <laughs> and my pronouns are going to be words you can't pronounce right you make a profession but is it real come on we're living in make-believe land and we all know we're living in make-believe land even the ones who are doing it 
So the point is, does my profession match who I am or what I, what I am about? And Jesus told us two things. John writes us two things that Jesus taught him. He's teaching us. One, we keep his commandments. Two, we love one another. And really, one and two go together because Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he, he gave us the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets in what? Love God, love people. Love God, love one another. Fulfills the law. So what's the proof we belong with him? That we're keeping his commandments. We say yes. Yes, Lord, I need to obey that. So then can I walk in unforgiveness? I can't. I can, but I'm, I'm hindering Right? I'm stuck in a place of hindering. I'm professing to be in the light, but I'm really where? I'm in the darkness. I'm in the darkness. Can't see where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. I would tell you that I would say that there is a, you know, maybe 90%, but that might be too high. There is a high percentage of the church today stuck in a darkness, hindered by sin, unwilling to confess it, not being obedient to what the word declares us to do because you, like my bitterness, like to sit there and pet it. And it makes you comfortable and it makes you happy and it's the best way for you to find justice by holding animosity towards someone else or, or you know, I'm, I'm even trying to roll over my sarcasm. Boy, that one's dying hard. But <coughs> because I would yes, my wife is going to praise the Lord. Finally, after all these years, the Lord has heard your prayers. So... But the reason, the reason is because it causes so much misunderstanding. You know, I'm trying to, and, and the reality is that was my crutch. So the way I could hold on to bitterness is rather than deal with my bitterness, I'll just let some steam off by being sarcastic. You guys ever done that? Or like, I really should confront this thing or talk about this issue or, or f- walk in forgiveness or whatever. But instead of doing that, I'm going to let a little out of the can by being sarcastic. That's what I did. And so, you know, these are things the Lord is revealing in me. Now, the point, the reason why I do this in front of you is so that you recognize that this is something we need to do. Not just me. Me changing, me repenting, hallelujah, great for me. But that's not going to help us as a body. If we want to be the body Christ is calling us to be, so our profession matches what we actually have, then we need to be obedient to what the Word of God actually says. Crazy idea, huh? (laughs) We want to match all these things up. Now, we come to this next section, and I was planning on teaching all the way through chapter 2. And last week, I did that, uh, or I taught... I went through what I intended to go through, and <laughs> you guys all missed lunch. <clears throat> and so my, I want to, I'm just going to focus on where God takes us. We'll see. I'm not sure we'll make it to the end. But the next section of John, he's talking about this. The purpose about writing to his children. He calls everybody child because he's the oldest living apostle. If you're the oldest living apostle in the church, you get to tell everybody else they're your kids. And so this is what John's doing, and he's writing to them in love for what? There's two reasons why he's writing to them in love. One is to encourage them to grow spiritually, and two, to expose the dangers of worldliness. 
Now, I don't know if we'll get to the second one, but we're definitely going to get to the first one about encouraging believers to grow spiritually. So we look at the section. The section is in verses 12 through 14. Here's what he says. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. We look at this section, you know, I've I've shared with you before, maybe you'll remember, John is a symphonic writer. John writes a letter like people write songs. He's a user of the poetic. He's a user, he doesn't think linearly, he thinks uh, cyclically, so he'll run cycles. We'll see that all the way through 1 John. It's the same way he wrote Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the Gospel of John. They all bear this uh, landmark of being written by John. So as we look at this first part, he's telling us that there are, first thing that we want to look at, he's telling us there's different levels of spiritual maturity. There's four distinct groups he talks about in this section. First, he talks about little children. The Greek word for that is technia. It literally means a child that you don't discipline. Okay? Child, what's a child you don't discipline? A baby. An infant. Don't, what are you going to do by disciplining an infant? Not Nothing. You're not going to do nothing. A baby cries because they're a baby. They cry because they're hungry or their diaper's dirty or they want to be held. Or they cry to frustrate Papa. Whichever one. The point is, technia is that small, little child not being disciplined. What is it? What is this is distinction number one. First Peter 2 2. Like newborn infants, same phrase, like newborn infants long for spiritual milk, that it that by it you may grow up into salvation. So the idea is this is where we start. Jesus said in John chapter 3. He said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And when you're born again, you are an infant. That's where you start. I don't care how old you are. (coughs) You could get born again at 90. Well, now you're an infant. And you need the pure milk of the word to grow thereby. So that's category, the first one. The second children, little children, he, he mentions it again as a word, Padilla. Padilla is a child that needs discipline. So you start as an infant and you receive milk and then you grow up whatever point that occurs. I'm not going to give you a number. It happens where you realize that the child now can understand discipline. The first time my little beautiful baby that I didn't believe I could love anymore looked at me when I said no and did it. I knew you're ready to be disciplined, right? Because you did what you, you knew I was telling you not to do that. And you looked at me with that big grin on your face and you did it anyway. <coughs> so this is the word padilla. Padilla is one under 
discipline, one ready to be disciplined. Now, so when we first get saved, we are an infant receiving the milk of the word, and that's what's going to help us grow. But as we grow, now we move into a stage where we are ready to be disciplined by the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, which we alluded to a little while ago, is a great place to look at for the idea, the concept of being disciplined by the Lord. In Hebrews 12, verse 5, he says this, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Now, I would like to sometimes just put my head into the sand and pretend everything is okay. But there are times in our walk with Christ where the Lord is going to bring us to a place where we come face to face with the very things God is disciplining us for. Why is he disciplining us? For our destruction? Does the Lord discipline to destroy? Do parents discipline to destroy? Well, they're not supposed to. We discipline so that you might what? Grow. So that you might grow. So he's saying in Hebrews, don't, don't uh, regard lightly. Don't, dis, don't, don't uh, turn away from God's discipline. Listen, verse 6 of Hebrews 12. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. And he chastises every son he receives. So if you're walking with Christ, you've been born again, you've, you've grown on the milk of the word. Now you're going to enter into a time where the Lord God is going to discipline you. He's going to say to you, no, don't touch that. Turn away from that. Go do this. Go do that. This is how the Lord is disciplining us. And that discipline is not subjective. That discipline comes through the word. Just like John said earlier, that if we're following Christ Jesus, we're going to, one, keep his commandments, the things Jesus told us to do, right? That's why he's our Lord. If he's my Lord, I, I don't say no, Lord. I say, yes, Lord. <clears throat> what do you want me to do? I want you to love God. Okay, that seems like a good thing. I want you to love your neighbor. That's okay. I want you to love one another. I want you husbands to love your wives. Uh, uh, there's so many things that Jesus lays out for us. He wants us to follow. He says, God is simply treating you as sons. <clears throat> For what son is there that the father does not discipline? If you are not disciplined, then you are not sons. So John is talking about what does it look like to walk in eternal life? What does it look like to possess what you profess? He said, you're going to keep the Lord's commandments. You're going to love one another, and you're going to grow. You're going to get born again and be sustained by the milk. Then you're going to be disciplined by the Lord, and you're going to respond to that discipline. Right? We're going to respond to that discipline. The, the third phase that we grow into, we're going to talk about what each one is, is given, the word each one is given, but I just want you to get the categories in your head. The third category is young men. Now, ladies, do me a favor. Erase all the ideas of gender that we're looking at, because this is not specific to just boys or men this is specific to anyone growing okay the the words that are used this is for us all where we start as a baby then we grow into a little child we're disciplined then we reach fighting age 
That's young men. The challenge to young men is now you are involved in the battle for Christian living. That's not gender specific. You are involved in the battle for Christian living. You want to live as a disciple of Christ, man or woman, right? We want to follow Christ. We want to be who Christ. Now, are there distinctions in the word of God for the roles? Yes, there are distinctions for the role. That's all right. But the point is you are both in the battle for Christian living. That's what the phrase young man is about. In fact, it's used again in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. <coughs> Paul writing to Timothy says, let no one despise you for your youth. Let no one despise you for your youth. He's, a, he's not the elder, Timothy, but he is of a fighting age, ready to go do battle. And you'll see that the responses that John writes to each one that he's writing to fit the categories. He says, but set the believers an example. So this is the goal. Young men, young women, those of fighting age, set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Paul writes to Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, building one another up, to teaching, do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given to you <clears throat> by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. But practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress, your growth. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, and by so doing, you will save yourself and your hearers. Three categories. Infants need the milk. Next group, small children need discipline. Third group, young men, you need to, young ladies, you need to be an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Stages of growth in the life of a believer. We're going to be in one of these four categories. The last one is fathers. Fathers, the spiritually mature or Adult, 1 Corinthians 4.15 says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. <laughs> For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. 1 Thessalonians 2.11, Paul would write to them, For you know how, like a father with his children, I have been to you. You know how, like a father with with his children. This is the point. What is it? What is this final level of maturity in the life of a believer? This final level level is a level at which you begin to disciple. What does the scripture tell us in Titus? It tells uh, it says likewise in the same manner as the older men, older women teach the younger women. Older men, by, by comparison, are, are called the same things. What's written to one is written to the other. Likewise, likewise, you do the same. So the older men are what? To look for a young man or a child. Now, this has nothing to do with age. You guys get what I'm saying? This is your status, your standing as a believer walking with Christ. It's possible for you to be old 
and a child in need of discipline. It's possible for you to be <coughs> young and spiritually mature. But the point is, as we look at this, is these are the stages that the life of a believer is supposed to take. This is how these things are supposed to go. What is the lesson for each one? I just want to talk on that briefly, and then we'll jump into it. The lessons to be learned for each one. For the little infant, for the new believer, what is it? Rest in your relationship to the Lord. Your sins are forgiven you. New believer, born again, rest in your relationship to the Lord. This is what, this is the emphasis that John is talking about. To the next one, the next child, not the infant, the padilla, the one that needs discipline, the lesson is respond to the discipline of the Father. What was the scripture he said? You have known the Father. You know what the Father is doing. There's, I've never met somebody who's being disciplined and does not know it. You ever been disciplined by your dad and you didn't know it? <coughs> Dad, are you disciplining me? Oh, the point is the Padilla, that second level of child who's growing in the Lord, who is in need of discipline, you know the things that God is telling you to cut out, to let go, to repent of, to confess. If we as a people, a body of believers, want to progress and become all that God has for us. We're going to have to leave the realm of Isaiah. I think it's Isaiah chapter 3. In Isaiah chapter 3, I'm doing it from memory, so you might have to look if you go look it up. Isaiah 3 talks about, we've talked about this before, as part of the judgment of God. He says, I'm going to give you children to lead you. And what he's talking about is I'm going to give to you people who are unwilling to, be, to respond to discipline, and they're going to be your leaders. Anybody paying attention to the world right now? He says in, in that section of Isaiah, he also says, Isaiah also writes, not only that, the youth, the young, are going to hate the old. Paying attention? Now, this was God's judgment through Isaiah to the northern kingdom of Israel. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us all these things are written to us for our admonition so that we can learn from the things they didn't learn from. And we're repeating it's possible to stay in your spiritual growth so that you're not progressing so that you're not being or experiencing all that God has for you and find yourself in a place of judgment where you look around and you start to see the same things that happened in Israel that are happening here. So, little, little babies, know this. Rest in the relationship with the Lord. Your sins are forgiven you. The next level up, the next step up, children, respond to the discipline. If God is calling you to repent and confess and turn from, then you need to do that or you're not going anywhere else. 
you're staying a padilla, a little child in need of discipline. That's where I was. So I'm sure many of you think you are paters, you are fathers, but you can't get to father without receiving the discipline of God, responding to the discipline of God, and progressing. You guys understand where I'm coming from? So this is this, that's the second group. You have known the father, responding to his discipline. Third group, neoniskoi. Neoniskoi is the young, <coughs> the young, the fighting class. You are to rely on the word of God for victory. That third class, rely on the word of God. Here is our trap. We'll see it as we progress in 1 John. Our trap is to trust in our abilities, the things we can do. <clears throat> hey, you guys have all heard it. We all know you can go through the motions of anything, can't you? For sure. If you got some level of skill, you can perform up to a certain mark without ever having to rely on the word of God. Let me ask you a question. Is the word of God authoritative for you? If the answer is yes, is the word of God sufficient? The answers that it gives you, is it sufficient in what it, when it, what it says to do? Then we are to obey. That's the next part, right? Is the word of God authoritative? Is it sufficient? Are we going to follow it? What did he say? You have overcome the wicked one. Twice in the section in the scripture talking about the young ones. That third level of maturity, the third level of mature growth in the Lord. You're doing battle with the enemy and you're going to defeat him because you hold fast to the word of God. Because the word of God is sufficient. We're going to read that scripture in just a moment. The word of God is authoritative. And then the last one, the pateras, pateras, because you have known him who is from the beginning. What is it that fathers do? They rejoice in the knowledge of God himself. Rejoice in the knowledge of God. So what do we have? We have those resting. Hey, thanks, man. That monster? Oh, that's water. That's good for you, I've heard. That's cold water, too. Man, you're all right. Okay. Rest in your relationship with the Lord as an infant. Padilla, respond to the discipline of the Lord. This is what John's writing about. Neoniskoi, rely on the word of God for victory. And pateras, rejoice in the knowledge of God himself. This is the four levels of spiritual maturity that John is talking about in 1 John. This is where we are supposed to go. My question is, is this on our radar? Are we progressing? Or are we, this next section in John's all about falling into worldliness. So I'm, I'm just going to give a brief test. And I just want us to consider the things we talked about. We want to grow. We want to move on. We want to progress with the Lord. We want to see the church move like the Bible talks about the church moving. And all of us have this sense that something's not right. You ever felt like that? Something, there's something wrong. What's wrong? Well, it's, it's not God. So that makes 50% of our 
looking for what's wrong, over, right? So we focus on the other 50%, and that'd be us, right? So, so something's wrong. Maybe, maybe the things John's warning us of have infiltrated, and maybe we don't even recognize it anymore, and we're stagnant in our spiritual maturity, and we're not responding to the discipline of the Lord, and we're not experiencing God's deliverance and our growth to that next section. Neo-Noiskoi, the ones doing battle, right? The ones who are able to celebrate in the presence of God. So let's, let's, let's take a little test. Thinking about our attitude. <laughs> the world's attitude is definitely anti-Christian, right? The, we're going to see that in this section too, right? There are many antichrists. There's definitely an antichrist. I want you to think of it different. I want you to think of the word anti not as in opposition to, but I want you to start to think of it as pseudo. By pseudo, I mean taking the place of. Jesus Christ is there to be the authority in our life, right? His word is our authority. We want to walk with him. We want to follow him. And the world is trying to replace that. With the state, the government, it's anti in, in the idea that it's opposed to Christianity, but it's also trying to become the authority in life, right? Where do you go to find all the answers? Well, well the internet, of course, <laughs> right? I mean, what Google, we go to Google, we type in a Google, whatever Google says. I spent a lot of time dealing with heretical ideas that were discovered on Google, because anybody can write anything on Google. It has, there's no authority there. There's no authority in that. What is the world trying to replace Christ in our life? The other thing that the world is, is distinctly and completely and utterly and totally anti-family. Okay, you are already living in a nation that is not replenishing its population through birth. Its population is being replenished through immigration. Now, you, whether you agree with that or don't agree with that, I don't care. That's what's happening. <clears throat> Birth rates are too low to maintain life in the United States. The only thing that is maintaining the population in the United States is immigration. And the reason why birth rates are so low is because people don't care about getting married, having families, raising families. They care about something else. And they're in pursuit of that. And so as they're in pursuit of that, this is what's happening. How do I know that? Well, let's talk about this. Majority of families in the United States, children grow up with zero parents in the home. Not one, zero. If they're fortunate enough to have a two-family home, which is very rare, both mom and dad are working full-time. Your young one is in daycare or in school for the majority of the day. Mom and dad come home. Again, if it's a two-parent family, mom and dad come home. The kids gather up. They have dinner. And basically, family, rather than being family, a unit, a cohesion, a thing that the Bible talks about, instead what you have is a place to sleep at night. And you're being 
raised, children being raised either by the state or children being raised by someone outside of the family and the amount of time that our children are, are spending with mom and dad comparatively is tiny. It's tiny. It didn't used to be that way. But, but it's that way now. It's that way now. There's, there's very little time at home. Um, our, here's my question. When we think about that, family being a place to sleep, how many fathers spend three hours a week teaching the scriptures to their children or to their wife? Well, I get home from work and I'm really tired. Or we work opposite schedules. That's possible too, right? We just don't see each other except on weekends. We just, we just don't have time. The reason I'm, I'm asking all of this is for this, is for this purpose. Are we annulling the commandments of God for traditions that have infiltrated the church, traditions that are a part of the church that are in opposition to what the word of God teaches? Now we should think about that. We should ask ourselves, am I, am I being obedient? Why is the pursuit of mediocrity, what's the matter? You going to yell at me again? There was full battery. Okay, so you ever get the feeling like enemy doesn't want to get out what you're trying to get out? <clears throat> so listen, just, just, just kind of think about it for a minute. The teaching responsibility in the church, biblically, is committed to the pastor and the elders. They're the, they're the teaching body, spiritual body of leadership in the church. I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in church and I never once had interaction with an elder or the pastor unless he was over at my house. So are we annulling the commandments of God for traditions that have crept in? Why do we think a teenage boy or a teenage girl who loves the word of God, studies the Bible, is immediately someone who's called to be a pastor or a missionary? Shouldn't that just be normal for a believer? Someone who loves the word of God? So the question then I ask myself, these are all things that I've recently gone through for me. I ask myself, what's the goal in my, in my children? <clears throat> Oftentimes there are three, three goals in raising our children. We're looking for one of these three things to decide whether or not we've been successful. Um, one, how good is he on a ball field? Two, how good is he in the bedroom? Three, 
How good is he in the boardroom? In other words, can he make a lot of money? Is that our focus when we raise our kids? When we look into pouring into the next generation? Is he, is he making enough money or can he perform on the ball field? Is he be a great ball player, a great football player? None of those things are as good to provide for your family, right? That's a biblical concept. There's nothing wrong with excelling at sports. My question is, what's our goal? What is our goal? What are we raising our kids to be? What are we doing as we follow the, the, the Lord? Is this what we're doing? Or are we looking for young men and women who have trained minds, who want to walk in godly, biblical character, who are committed to the glory of Christ, who are wanting to be neo-noiskai, wanting to be warriors for Christ on a battlefield, <clears throat> so my question then is, as we look at our young ones, as those we are raising, or as grandparents, or grandkids, or if you don't have kids, look around, there's plenty of kids here. As we look at these things and we think, what is our, what is our goal? What is our scriptural understanding of our goal? Does our goal line up with the word of God? Judges 17, 6 says this. In those days there was no king in Israel... And everyone did what was right in his own mind. Everyone did what was, well, I think this is right. I think this is right. I think this is right. And I would say we're, there are a lot of us that are performing. This is, this is our focus. This is what we're doing. But it is everything we need in Scripture? Because the Word of God says, 2 Timothy verse chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, all Scripture is... Breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Those same categories that we're talking about in the spiritually mature uh, um, walking with the Lord. For what purpose is the word of God? That every man of God may be complete, equipped mostly. What does it say? Equipped for every good work. Every good work. Isaiah, writing about the northern kingdom in chapter 1 of Isaiah, verse 4, it says this. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Why will you still be struck down? Why will you continue to rebel? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint from the sole of the foot, even to the head. <clears throat> there is no soundness, but bruises and sores and wounds which are not pressed out or bound or softened with oil. What he's saying in Isaiah chapter 1 is, you're in rebellion against God. God is working out discipline. We're not responding to that discipline, and instead we're going through life with open wounds. We're not even taking the time to wash them out. To cleanse them? Are we walking in obedience to what God's word is calling us to? Are we reflecting the spiritual truth that God's asking us to do? In, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, here's what Paul would write. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. 
so that every aspect of our life, whatever it is, whether, whether we're into sports or we're into theater or we're into music or whatever things we're in, he doesn't say, get away from all that stuff. What does he say? Do all for the glory of God. Do all. Whatever things we're doing, is, is, that, is that in the heart behind what we're teaching the next generation? Is that our goal moving forward? He says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive to Christ. So every thought and everything that is in our mind that is in opposition to Christ, do we take that captive and then demand that that be subservient to Christ? He's Lord, right? He's Savior. Or are we trying to do it the other way? Are we trying to pull Jesus into the 21st century and say, Lord, you gotta, you got to let go of all these other things. They're kind of unpopular. you got to drop all of that stuff. But if you've read John chapter 6, you know Jesus stood when he had the greatest number of disciples following him, and he gave the most impactful teaching. He said, look, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. And his disciples all looked around and said, this is a hard teaching, and they left him. And he comes to the 12, and he says to the 12, are you leaving too? And they said, no. You alone have words of life. No, we're following you. We're committed to you and, and what your word is teaching. Is this the attitude that we want to have? Do we want to be that example? I want to be an example. Listen, in 1 Corinthians 4, 15 and 17, he said this, for though you have countless guides in Christ, we talked about this earlier, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. But I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, and I urge you, then be imitators of me. So when you reach that, that fourth level, the idea of being a father and mature in Christ, you're looking around and you're saying to people, follow me, follow my example. Follow my example. Walk like I'm walking. He said in verse 17, that's why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. So These are the goals that we want to do. When we look at the family and the way God has orchestrated the family, the first time the Lord said something was not good was it is not good for man to be alone. I don't care what the state says. I don't care if they can stand up on whatever lofty, high mountain they want and say, it's far better for you to all be alone. But if you haven't learned over the last two years that that's not true, let this sink in. In 25 years of ministry, in 25 years of ministry, I have done more suicides in the last two years than 25 years. You add up all 25 years, and I've done more suicides in the last year and a half than I have ever done before. Because the Lord said in his word, it is not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper comparable for him. We're a social animal. We're created to be together. That's why in the book of Hebrews, the Lord says we need to be together. We, we, we strengthen one another, right? The body exists because the body is together. 
I told you guys a few weeks ago, it doesn't make any sense. Cut off my hand and put it in the freezer. Say, I'm leaving you behind. I'm not taking you today. No, we need the whole body together. We need the whole body together. So <laughs> the family is the first symbol of government that the Lord created. And in that idea of the family, it's not about what you can do on Sunday morning. This is good. We're to gather. We're to encourage one another, get impacted with the word of God, take that home. But the growth that we're talking about in 1 John, the growth that happens in 1 John will not occur here Sunday morning. That growth will occur at home. Now let me ask you, if home is made up of less than a few small hours a day, and in those few small hours you're too tired or not able to do the things that God's word is challenging us to do, what do you want to change? One hour, one hour on Sunday morning is not going to cut it. It's not. It's good, right? It's a time for us to come together and impact one another. But let's just think about this. What does the Bible say? We said the Bible is authoritative, right? We said the Bible is sufficient, that it's able to help me grow, that it's able to teach me what I'm supposed to do. Let's consider it. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Deuteronomy 4, verse 9, the Lord speaking says, Only take care, keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make these things, the things God's done in your life, make these things known to your children and to your children's children. How... On the day that you stood before the Lord, your God at Horeb, the Lord said, Gather all the people to me, that I may let them hear my word, so that they may hear and fear all the days of their life and live on the earth, that they may, and that they may teach their children also. Do you understand that at the beginning, when God called the nation of Israel to him, God the Father stood at Mount Horeb, like Mount Horeb is a pulpit, and spoke his word to the people, and they all heard him. Now, the point of that story is the Lord is saying, now, don't forget about that. Tell it to your children and your children's children. Now, yes, I want to talk about family, but I also want you to think about the spiritually immature, the young in Christ, the infant in Christ. Teach them, teach them, teach them. Disciple, teach. Jesus said in the Great Commission, go into all of the world. Making disciples of every nation. What's the next thing he says? He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them the things I taught you. Teach them. Deuteronomy 6. You guys probably know this one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, might. And these words I command you today will be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You will talk of them when you sit in your house. And you will talk of them when you walk in the way. And you will talk of them when you lie down. And you will talk of them when you get up. 
you will put them as a sign on your hand, and you will put them as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall build the foundation of your home upon them. Teach these things. Deuteronomy 11, verse 18. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart, in your soul, bind them as a sign on your hand and as frontlets to your eyes, and you will teach them to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> when you're sitting in your house, when you walk in the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you will write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Why? Listen, here's the why. That your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land. That your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land. Look, if you, I don't care what thing you look at, what, um, what facts you want to search out. The church in the United States of America is diminishing. And the people who are being lost are your children. 70%. Every year. For since they've been keeping track. That's a lot. Teach these things so that your days may be long. Teach them to your children. Joshua chapter 4 verse 5. Joshua said, let the ark pass before you to the midst of the Jordan. And take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel. That this may be a sign to you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you will tell them of this day when the Lord stopped the waters of the Jordan. See, Joshua told the people, go make milestones and take those milestones. They went into the middle of the Jordan River, picked out a bunch of rocks, and made a pile outside of the Jordan River. And then the Lord said, now when your children are walking by this area, and they say, what's that stack of stones? What do you do with it? Teach them the things God has done for you. We sing a song. Uh, what is the song with Ebenezer in it? Come on. Somebody who's not shy. That's close. <laughs> what is it? Oh, it doesn't matter. You guys. Yeah, come now, fount of every blessing. There's a line in there. Now I raise my Ebenezer. And probably most people go, what is an Ebenezer? Well, an Ebenezer is right out of the Bible. And Samuel, when Samuel, one of the victories that God gave, Samuel tells the people, uh, Ebenezer means, I think it means something like stone of help, rock of help. And the idea was to build, stack, so that when people come by and they say, what's that? Oh, man, that's when the Lord helped me. Let me tell you about how the Lord helped me here. Let me tell you about, you see, it's not, it's not, it's not I'm not saying go buy a curriculum and start teaching college-level classes to your kids. It's organic because your life with God is so with God that you talk about God all the time. And so it's natural when you get up to talk about God, when you lay down to talk about God, when you're having dinner to talk about God. Remember when we used to have dinner and we sat around a table together? There was a day. 
Psalm 78. It's the last section we'll look at. Psalm 78 says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth, and I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark, that means hidden. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. And he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know and the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God and keep his commandments that they would that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. When, as, as we've been going through Ezekiel on, on Wednesdays, and you guys know we're, doing, we're trying to do a new thing on Wednesday where we just say, well, let's just, let's just try to do things the way the Lord said. So we'll, we'll do a family night. And we'll have all the kids together with us and we'll teach the word like we're teaching the word to anyone. And then we'll gather and we'll fellowship. And my prayer, honestly, in that time, my prayer during that time of fellowship is that the things that the Bible talks about will happen. Fathers will tell their children. You know, you guys all know there are children who come here who don't have mom or dad. They're not believers. You know who they need? Long time ago. In a land far away, in a place called California, there was an incredibly gifted young man named Jason Richardson, now the pastor over at Calvary Kimberney. And he was chasing a girl, as many men who come to church are doing. Occasionally, there's women who are chasing a man, but he, he was chasing Danielle, who's his wife now. And there was an old guy there in that church who saw him, recognized his potential and his need for someone to come alongside and disciple him. And so he walked up to him. Now, unbeknownst to this old-timer, Jason had been talking to God, and he asked God, and if you hear, hear Jason tell you a story, he tells it way better. But if you, he asked God, you need to show me somebody who can tell me what it is to be a man, and how, how I don't know how to do this stuff. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, and he's just kind of, you know, trying to put it all together, and the, like the next day or whenever, sometime after that prayer, he's at church, and, and this guy, I think his name was Bill, is that right, Carol? Bill Bishop comes up to him. Bill Bishop's in heaven now. Bill Bishop came and he said to Jason all the things Jason had prayed before. Lord, I need somebody who will show me these things. So, and Bill Bishop lived long enough to know that Jason is in full-time ministry. He's loving the Lord. He's teaching the word of God. People are getting saved as a result of his ministry. God's doing amazing things through him because an old-timer in church looked at a young person and said, went over to them and said to them, man, I want to I help you. And God had prepared his heart to be ready to receive that. And so they, they 
developed this really unique relationship and God did amazing things. That's organic. What we do in church today is program driven and it's not organic. Right? It's it's and I, and I'm not saying, you know, listen, can God strike a straight mark with a crooked stick? Yeah, God can do anything he wants. But are we doing it the way God wants us to do it? Are we are we doing what God wants us to do? And and so the point is not to I'm not trying to 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 lay out anything before you other than this. That God is calling his church to repent from all of our former ideas and to hold up his word and say, I want to do it like this. I'm going to do it like this. Just like Phil prayed. The Lord said, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. So what should we do? Find a reason not to do it? We should be obedient. The word of God tells us where to teach the next generation, where to disciple one another, where to be growing. If we're walking with Christ, we should be growing into maturity, reaching the point where we can be a father for someone who maybe doesn't have one. Maybe the way we're a father for someone who doesn't have one is we're a father to the father who will be the father for his own kids. That's why we're discipling. We have men's discipleship groups going on to just try to help fill in the gap give the comfort and understanding of the word so that you organically can have a family that loves Jesus and Jesus is anchored in your family. Not another program, not another thing to try to do. We'll still, we still want to do those things. We're still going to, we're still, we still want to do VBS and go out and, and reach the, uh, the lost, right? We still want to have opportunity to do those things, but we need to get our act together. No? And part of that is repentance. Turn away from that which we have done that is not what God's asking of us and turning to obedience. Lord, what do you want from me? So we're going to have the worship team come up. I'm going to close. We're going to pray. We're going to do an extended opportunity for prayer so if you want to come up there's going to be elders and folks up front that would love to pray with you of course you don't have to come to them that you you can pray yourself you is you don't need an a, a mediator to go before you but they're here to pray with you to say lord we want to turn from the ways i've been doing things look at the men's retreat guys i had my oldest boy sitting like four rows back or three rows back and I'm standing in front of him saying, you know what, son, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me that this is what I did? I, I took you to church and I took you to Sunday school and I took you to all the other things. But you needed me. You needed me. And that's how the Bible describes it, right? As family. And I'm thankful because today since I talked about him, he didn't make it. So he's at home watching right now going, oh, do. But... He's been coming to church, been coming to discipleship. He's learning what it is to be a godly dad. So discipling my son into being the father he needs to be while his kids are young, hopefully it's going to help them. 
it is a point of saying, you know what? I meant this for good, but it wasn't your way, God. You told me to do it, right? Because I spent a lot more time with my son. You know that? Every time I go to bed and wake up, I had to go in and wake my son up. You know how my son wakes up? Still today. As a, how old is he? 30-something. 33 years old. You got to hit him with a two-by-four in the back of the head to get that guy out of bed. Now, he functions, right? He goes to work. He's not late. He does what he needs to do. Every time I went in and woke him up as he was growing up was an opportunity for me to share Jesus with him organically. An opportunity for me to pray with him. An opportunity for me to point him to the Savior. That's what the word says to do, right? So part of my journey in the last couple years has been this, will, the, it's like the Lord speaking to me here saying, will you repent? Will you turn? And just let's, just, let's just do what God's word says to do. And let's allow him to be glorified as we do so. And may we truly, may there, I pray there are, are a hundred bills here and bill S's. I don't know how you say bill and woman. Bill S? Oh, Billy. Sorry, Billy. I have Billy sitting right up front. So anyways, yes, I pray we have a hundred bills and billies, men and women who are willing and have their eyes open to look for someone that they can pour into. Amen? And may God's church be all that she's meant to be. Let's pray. Father, we come to you, Lord. We come to you, God, in, a, in an attitude of repentance, in a, in a meeting set uh, for repentance, a call to prayer, a call to turn from, from good intentions. But it, it wasn't what your word told me to do. So, Lord, uh, I just pray that we as a body would be in a place where we'll turn away from the things God has not called us to do and turn toward in obedience to the things he has that we would allow the word of God to go richly for as a church since the beginning of the United States of America with a few exceptions where there were revivals and outpourings of God's spirit in great ways we are diminishing here and Lord, you said if we walked in obedience to you, we would increase. And we think it's the next fancy band or great singers or flashy lights or smoke machines. But maybe what it really is is just men and women who will repent and walk in obedience to God's word. Husbands who love their wives and, and wives who respect their husbands families who are committed to loving their children in the Lord and still raising up good young men and young women Lord I just uh, I know I think all of us I think every person in every church across Buell and Twin Falls wants to see the church walk in power distinction from the world and walk in power where we're seeing the hand of God move. But as you call us in 1 John, you say, here are stages of development. Lord, if we're still infants or little children, how can we see the things we want to see?
because we're holding on to something that you're asking us to let go of. Lord, I thank you for delivering me and for a week at least guarding my heart from bitterness. I thank you for the peace I feel today, for the joy I feel, for the the lightness of spirit, the patience. Wow, it's amazing when you turn from your sin and turn toward the Lord, how the fruit of the Spirit becomes so much more evident in your life than when you were holding on to your sin. So God, just open our eyes. As we continue in 1 John, you're going you're gonna to tell us that you have no need that any man teach you, for the Holy Spirit is inside of you. And if He's inside. Since he's inside of you, he's already confirming to you the things that God is pointing out in your life. So, Lord, help us walk in an attitude of repentance and confession. May we be free today. May we experience things we have not with the joy of the Lord being our strength. May we see the truth of your word emphasized in the heart of your people who have surrendered the attempt to try to, to make it current and just said, Lord, what if we just do what you say? What if we just do it the way you ask us? Lord, I pray you be glorified in this place as men and women open their heart to you. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.